MSW Media. Hey everyone, today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by my favorite daily nutritional drink, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we thank them for their support. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, March 15th, 2022. Today... Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny, was at the ellipse January 6th. The government files a motion to detain Enrique Tarrio pending trial. Trader John Eastman wants an extra month to go through his emails. New information shows Roger Stone was playing all sides in Florida. Federal prosecutors admit to violating a 1-6 defendant's right to a speedy trial and a big win for Indiana. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, hello, hello. Happy Tuesday. Hi, AG. It is the Ides. It's the Ides of March. It is indeed. And the beautiful Ides it is. Yes, it's lovely out. And today we've got good news at the end of the show. And then later I'm going to be talking with the host of the podcast called Future Hindsight. Her name is Mila Atmos. It's amazing. An incredible conversation. You're going to love it. But before we get to the news, breaking news just dropped. I was just... It's just been handed to me. Ships at sea, ships at sea. And this is kind of a big deal. And I'm doing this with no script. I've just read a filing that was made by the Department of Justice in the Enrique Tarrio case because today, March 15th, is a hearing for pretrial detention. And this is a motion that the government is filing saying why Enrique Tarrio needs to be held in jail pending his trial. And there's three main reasons, and they are because he could intimidate and hurt other witnesses, obstruct justice and destroy evidence. So he's a danger there. They also call him a flight risk. And then they also have said that, you know, and and it's going to be interesting because it's been over a year now. So it's going to be interesting to see how they argue flight risk. But he's also being charged with destruction of government property exceeding $1,000 or more. And that has a a 10-year max sentence. And apparently that Indictment right there is usually enough to say that you're not safe to be out in public. But the thing that struck me, two things struck me about this. First of all, they they went into a little more detail about that January 5th meeting in the parking garage. And they went on to say that there was a documentary film crew there. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that there was a documentary film crew following Roger Stone around. So that is very interesting. And there was a lady in there who is a lawyer for one of the Oath Keepers. So it's interesting that she was there while they were planning an attack on the Capitol. Like, how can she possibly be a lawyer? for one? And she's also probably one of the lawyers that's being funded by Sidney Powell. But those are like nine different stories. The thing <laughs> that stood out to me today the most is in this filing on page four, part A, under a, a, a heading that's called Tario Imposed a Command and Control Structure, on the MOSD. And the MOSD is that leadership group uh, on the different encrypted apps where they said, you know, you have to follow our instructions, blah, blah, blah. And there was like 60, 65 Proud Boys in there. And there were a few different ones. They deleted one after Tario got arrested because they thought he'd be compromised and they created another one. And they're, they're called the MOSD. 
And here's the thing. It says the opening line says on December 20th, 2020, the day after plans were announced for a quote unquote wild protest in D.C. on January 6th, Tario created an encrypted messaging group for use by MOSD leaders. And there's a lot to unpack in this sentence. But what they're saying is that Tario created this group the day after Trump tweeted about January 6th, come out, will be wild. Do you remember that tweet? Will be wild. I do indeed. And the DOJ references that tweet here in sort of a roundabout way. They say on December 20th, the day after plans were announced for a wild protest in D.C. on January 6th. First of all, they're saying that Donald Trump's tweet was announcing plans. Second of all, we know it's his tweet because wild is in quotes. (laughs) And third of all, they're saying the very next day is when Tario created this, this group, which seems to me to be saying that the Department of Justice is inferring or implying that Tario created this group to attack the Capitol because of Donald Trump. That's what it sounds like to me. And I do hope that you are correct on these beans. Mm, Yeah. And so because otherwise there's no reason to mention it. You could just say, hey, on December 20th, Tario created this group of MOSD leaders. Absolutely. Nope. They specifically mention that tweet and how that tweet was a plan for a, quote, wild protest at the Capitol. It would serve him right if his Twitter account is what brings him down in the long run. (laughs) But this this says to me that they are trying to connect or they have connected the attack on the Capitol with Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I agree. So that is huge news. I have a whole thread on the rest of, of the filing. You can go see on Twitter at Mueller, she wrote. But I wanted to get that really huge Easter egg out there today. The the Department of Justice is connecting Donald Trump to the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, because Stuart Rhodes met with Enrique Tarrio. They mentioned that. It's all sort of coming together. And I just wanted everyone to sort of be aware of that. Thanks for the good news at the discussion. Let's, uh, yeah. Yeah, Now, let's do the rest of the news. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, from Kyle Cheney at Politico, because you know I love a good John Eastman story. I do indeed. Attorney John Eastman, a pivotal ally in the former guy's attempt to overturn the 2020 election, is asking a judge for permission to sharply slow down a court-ordered review of his post-election emails for potential production to the January 6th committee. Eastman, as we know, is in the midst of reviewing 90,000 pages of East of Eastmails. <laughs> I think they should be called East Mails from now on. I like it. The East Mails held by his former employer, Chapman University. A federal judge in California ordered Eastman in January to begin reviewing 1500 pages per day and produce any materials that he doesn't view as protected by attorney client privilege. Eastman's gripe, says Cheney. Eastman has been operating at the 1500 page per day level for several weeks, but his attorney, Burnham, said in a letter to the court today that This has sometimes stretched to 10 hours per day. It cuts into his ability to practice law and work at the Claremont Institute. Oh, so does sedition. Hmm. (laughs) Quote, maintaining the daily review schedule along with these professional responsibilities has at times created a significant hardship, Burnham wrote. Man, well, dig into your savings, fuckface. That's not in the article. Burnham instead (laughs) urged District Court Judge David Carter to permit Eastman to cut the review process in half... And uh, under the current pace, he would be done by April 6th, but he wants till May 6th. He wants another month. 
Burnham added that Eastman had already provided all documents except for the 111 that he said were privileged, covering between January 4th and January 7th. We've already gone through those, the important ones, he says, the January 4th through January 7th, the critical time period. In light of this, quote, we submit that the defendants would not be unduly prejudiced from a reasonable extension of the review schedule for remaining materials. Carter, the judge, is currently actually considering whether to override Eastman's claims of privilege on those 111 emails or invalidate them altogether and produce the shielded documents to the select committee. And I'm kind of hoping we get uh, uh, like uh, like a ruling that says, you know, I've gone through some of these 111. You just just turn them all over. Yeah. You just you have to just they belong to Chapman University anyway. Yeah, it's bullshit. So let's let's do this. Speed it up, mister. All right. We're going to stay a little bit with this insurrection news, if you will. The conservative activist, <laughs> that's really funny, conservative activist Virginia Ginny Thomas said in an interview published Monday that although she attended a rally on January 6, 2021, she played no role in planning the events that day and that she doesn't involve her husband, the Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, in the political work she does pushing conservative causes. Oh, no, they're not related. Now, the rare interview with conservative publication The Washington Free Beacon comes as progressives and some legal ethics experts see a potential conflict with Thomas's activism and her husband's work on the Supreme Court. You think? Just a a little nugget. The Washington Free Beacon was the uh, was the paper that initially paid Orbis and Christopher Steele and that whole group to get oppo research on Donald Trump. The dossier. Well, there you have it. Now, they point specifically, A.G., to a recent January order when the court, over the dissent of Clarence Thomas, of course, cleared the way for the release of presidential records from the Trump White House to a congressional committee investigating the U.S. Capitol attack. So Thomas was one of the only justices that dissented. Interesting. Because his wife's shit's going to be in there, probably. I would imagine. total conflict of interest. Yeah. Now, in recent weeks, media outlets, including CNN, they've run stories exploring Ginny Thomas's long-term activism and calls for Justice Clarence Thomas to recuse. So a lot of media outlets are saying, we're saying this is kind of bullshit. Now, in the interview, Ginny, who runs a political consulting firm, she stressed that she's going to continue her role as a political activist. She also clarified her actions on January 6th, okay? She said that she attended a rally but returned home before the former president, Donald Trump, took the stage at noon. Rioting broke out after that. So apparently she was an early riser and was there just for a short period of time. Maybe she went home because she knew what was about to happen. That could be. Oh, shit. Is it 11? I got to (laughs) go. Social media posts obtained by Slate show her cheering on the January 6th rally that preceded the Capitol attack. Though she later made clear, according to Slate, that she had published the post before the rally turned violent. Uh, right now, I don't, I don't think there was ever a time that a Donald Trump rally was not violent. Mm. Now, since the rally, she has signed a letter to House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy urging the Republican conference to remove both GOP reps Liz Cheney of Wyoming, as we know, and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois due to their, quote, egregious actions as members of the House of Representatives Select Committee investigating the insurrection. And Cheney and Kinzinger are serving at the request of who? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Their egregious actions of, like, finding out true stuff and investigating things? Their egregious actions of holding up the Constitution of the United States and democracy? What a bunch of dickheads. I know, right? Jerks. (laughs) And from Josh Gerstein at Politico, he's such a great writer. Federal prosecutors admitted Monday 
to losing track of one jailed defendant in the storming of the Capitol and conceded that the indictment against him should be dismissed. But they urged the judge to permit the charges to be refiled because of the seriousness of his alleged attack on police. In a highly unusual court filing, lawyers from U.S. Attorney's Office said the handling of the case against Texas resident Lucas Denny violated his rights under the Speedy Trial Act of 1974. It's as old as I am. Prosecutors said errors and oversights led to Denny's sitting in a Virginia jail for weeks last month as he awaited his first court appearance in D.C. Quote, there was nothing intentional or nefarious about the delay. It was an isolated incident, unlikely to happen again. And the time frame, while undoubtedly regrettable, is nevertheless not significantly egregious to warrant dismissal with prejudice. That's Assistant U.S. Attorney Jennifer Rosani. Denny was arrested in Mansfield, Texas, on December 13th on a criminal complaint charging he grappled with cops at the Capitol, swung a metal pole at an officer, and threw projectiles at a line of police. He appeared in a federal court in Del Rio, Texas, on December 14th, the next day, on December 17th, where a magistrate judge ordered that he remain in custody and be transferred to Washington to face charges. Denny then seemed to disappear from the court system for a couple of months. Records show he arrived January 31st at a jail in Warsaw, Virginia, used to hold some federal court suspects. Denny's attorney, John Pierce, was aware by February 4th of his client's arrival in Virginia. Scheduling of an initial court appearance in Washington for Denny was discussed among lawyers involved and court personnel, but seems to have gone unresolved until February 25th, when he was puzzlingly given a court date two weeks later, although the court's duty magistrate judge typically sees January 6th defendants like every day. Denny's lawyers filed an emergency motion for his release on March 2nd, citing the protracted delays in his appearance and the failure of the government to obtain an indictment in his case within 30 days of his initial court appearance in Texas. During a hearing last week, federal magistrate judge in Washington scolded prosecutors over their handling of the case. Judge Zia Faruqi said the Justice Department seemed overwhelmed by the work required to pursue criminal cases against the nearly 800 defendants they've charged in the Capitol riot. If the motion is granted to dismiss the case without prejudice, prosecutors could obtain a new indictment of Denny probably the next day, making the delays an admitted legal violation by the government simply a footnote in the litigation. But if the judge dismisses the case with prejudice, prosecutors would be precluded from refiling the same charge against Denny and might be blocked from charging him with any of the alleged conduct that led to his arrest in December. Thank you very much, A.G. And some good news that isn't getting any really big coverage in the press. The Indiana Senate killed controversial House Bill 1134. Now, this bill, which would have banned several, quote, divisive concepts and given more power over curriculum and classroom activities to parents, that was Monday, Monday night after several hours of closed-door discussions in the Republican caucus. Now, even though Republicans have a supermajority in the General Assembly, Senate President Pro Tempore Roderick Bray, help me out here, Roderick Bray. Yes. Yeah, that's good enough. Yeah, I'm like working on his big title. Uh, Republican from Martinsville. He said uh, he didn't have the votes to support that bill. And that was actually, that bill was inspired by nearly a year of debate about, quote, the critical race theory bullshit in the state's public schools. So this is a really interesting story. They were largely divided into two camps after a Senate committee watered it down in the face of opposition. So they're like, all right, well, this isn't passing. Let's see if we can make it weaker. And still, and this is a quote, we had some members of our caucus who felt like it didn't go far enough, he said. We had some members of our caucus that felt like it was too much of a burden on education and just not good policy that we wanted to move forward. Now, the bill, which would have limited what teachers could say in the classroom about race, sex, and religion, had been staunchly opposed by educators, school leaders, civil rights groups, Black community organizations, and leaders in the faith community. 
Now, this should sound familiar because one of this bullshit, even though it's a little bit more to the extreme of the LGBTQ community, that's what passed in Florida. Mm-hmm. So those who opposed the bill said it was a solution to a problem that doesn't exist in Indiana and risked driving teachers, a critical profession already in short supply, out of the field. It's largely been opposed by the Black community, which worried that the bill would further limit representation of Black or other people of color in school curricula and result in an incomplete and inaccurate teaching of the country's difficult history. Another quote, it is a good day for the state of Indiana, and that's from Gary Holland, education chair of the Indianapolis NAACP. He went on to say not to accept that, that's what would cause disenfranchisement of children and teachers. So this is a really good step in the right direction. So well done, Hoosiers. Boom. Yeah, this is a supermajority Republican legislature. Yeah. Assembly that was like, well, everyone hates it. Let's not pass it. <laughs> yeah, not yeah, not everyone is as ass backwards as Florida right now, which is nice to see. Yeah, and so this is, you know, when you speak up and you let your politicians know what's not going to fly, especially if you're teachers or educators or, you know, NAACP black, just speaking out, speaking up can make a difference. So good job. Absolutely. Good job, Absolutely. And we're going to keep doing it across the country because, you know, yep. this is going to keep going. It's not going to stop no. anytime soon. All right. We'll be right back with Mila Atmos. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. It's AG. And today's episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by AG, Athletic Greens, a health and wellness company specializing in daily nutrition. Keeping a healthy diet for me has been difficult because of my busy schedule, because I'm paleo, and because I intermittently fast, so I have gaps in my nutrition. But Athletic Greens came to the rescue. A single scoop of delicious AG1 contains multivitamins, multiminerals, a probiotic, a green superfood, and like 75 vitamins, whole food ingredients. It's got everything in it all in one place. It's so convenient. It's the easiest habit to pick up because you don't have to have 20 different bottles of vitamins and a probiotic in the fridge and a this here and a superfood scoop. And It's all in one. Taking AG1 in the morning helps me stay focused and productive all day. I drink it right before I go to the gym. It's tasty. It's got bioavailable ingredients, making it an excellent alternative to like all of those pills and supplements I told you about. And it fits well with keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, and gluten-free lifestyles. AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, doesn't have any GMOs, no chemicals, no artificial anything, and it tastes amazing. And again, I appreciate how Athletic Greens updates their research as it changes. AG1 has undergone 53 improvements over the past decade and counting based on science and research. Most supplements hit the market and don't change for decades. But this is something you should try. It's Athletic Greens. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans and take control of your health, fill the gaps in your nutrition, and feel great all day. Give AG1 a try. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today, I am honored to be joined by the executive producer and host of the podcast called Future Hindsight, Mila Atmos. Mila, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you because I absolutely love this podcast. It is called Future Hindsight, which I love that name, by the way. And you're based in New York and you are the producer and host of Future Hindsight. When did you start this podcast and and why? So we uh, launched in January of 2018, and uh, it happened after the summer of 2017. We were on a trip to Germany, my my sons and I, 
were taking a tour of the rise and fall of Nazism in Munich. It was a walking tour. And actually, I grew up in Germany, so I grew up with a lot of knowledge about the Holocaust. And my children, because they grew up here in the United States, don't know as much. And I thought this would be a really nice tour. And as we were taking the tour, I was reminded that Germans became Nazis over a long time and that their normative behavior changed little by little. And I thought to myself at the time, you know, this is a very similar place for a lot of Americans in the summer of 2017. And I thought I really, really wanted to have a conversation with the American people about getting engaged with our politics and our civic life and uh, making sure that the society that we live in is the one that we want to live in. Yeah. And, you know, it's those baby steps that make it seem like it's not as big a deal until you're the frog boiling in the water. I I was reminded of this when I was watching The Handmaid's Tale and they were doing uh, this is the show with Elizabeth Moss based on the Margaret Atwood book. And they were doing flashbacks to the before times before Gilead and little tiny things were happening like she had to get her husband's signature on her birth control prescription. And it was just sort of a, oh, yep, they make me do this now. It's weird, you know, and they just sort of went about their day, not realizing that's just one of a thousand paper cuts that lead to the death of democracy. And now we are starting to see, and I'm I'm sort of waiting for everyone to kind of connect the dots between what Putin is doing in Europe right now and has been trying to do for quite a while. And that, that we're sort of at the beginning stages of that and and Putin was able to to maintain and obtain power by doing successfully what Trump failed to do but attempted in the last two presidential elections with Putin's help by the way but now we have laws that are suppressing votes we have law anti-choice laws that are being passed we have anti-LGBTQ+ laws that are being passed we have this new weird Missouri law that says even if you travel or move to another state to get an abortion, we will criminally prosecute you. I don't think that that will ever go into effect, but they're starting to be introduced little by little. But now we it's actually we're in more of a medium phase where they're banning books and they're banning teaching of proper history. I feel like people are not seeing it happen right before their eyes. Can you talk a little bit about how you get people to sort of see that what we're doing. These are these are Putin-esque laws that are being passed here in the United States. Right, right. Well, I think to your earlier point at the very beginning is that people are not necessarily connecting the dots and that, that this is uh, an all-out assault on multiple levels, right? So that it just looks like, oh, there's one little thing here and there's a lot of, another thing here and those things are maybe not related, but they all are part of the same plot, right, to become a country that's less democratic or undemocratic over time. And what I'm hoping to do, and I don't know how successful I'll be, you know, is to get people to understand how powerful they are. I think one of the reasons Trump won is because people felt so hopeless, I think, in so many parts of the country where they felt like, well, and I mean, you know, whether that's in rural areas or suburban areas or even in cities, that people felt like, what's the difference if I vote or not? And I've heard this from friends firsthand. If I vote, what's the difference? And, I, and the first time I heard this was actually during the Bush and Gore election. And a friend of mine said to me, what does it matter if Gore wins or Bush wins? And I said, well, I think it matters a lot, you know, <laughs> but she didn't vote that year. And I think afterwards she thought, oh, I, I, I missed it. Right. And I think a lot of people not only still feel that way or certainly felt that way in 2016, or they felt like 
right, now enough of what is going on. I want something different and I'm going to vote for who is clearly a different kind of candidate. And what I'm trying to say is that that's not enough. We need to vote and we need to do more. We need to really be engaged. Uh, I just interviewed Art Chang and his episode is coming out this week. But actually one of the things he said was really, really powerful that in order to make change, we need to join and belong. And I think that's very important. And what I hope to do in the podcast is show everybody who listens a way to join and belong. And the first step, of course, always is voting, but to be well-informed, to go to town hall meetings, to even be involved with your parent-teacher association, you know, all of those things, wherever you can make yourself heard, whether you, where you can partake in improving your community, that's important. And no matter how small, it makes a difference. Yeah. And that exhaustion that leads to apathy is the point. Every time somebody says to me that they're, they feel like their vote doesn't matter, I always remind them that there are people spending millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of dollars to, to get you to believe that your vote doesn't matter. And if it didn't, they wouldn't be doing stuff like Josh Hawley registering at his sister's address in Missouri so he can vote. Or Mark Meadows, we just learned, who, who put his address down as some trailer in the Appalachian Mountains so that he could vote there. Or, you know, we've, we've found instances of voter fraud, but it's all on the minority side, on the Republican side. And that's part of the thing. Like, if, I kind of felt that way with the vaccines. Like, people are like, oh, I don't want to get vaccines. It's like, we don't need them. They don't work. And I'm like, then why are all the rich Republicans jumping the line to get it? You know, watch what they do, not what they say. But a lot of times we don't see that. We aren't familiar with with what they're doing. And we do need to sort of, you know, when you say engagement, we're going to have to sort of make friends, so to speak, with some folks who we have very different views on government policy with in order to push back the the slow crawl of autocracy. As you said, when you were visiting, how slowly in, in Germany how slowly that came on, because we can't it, it. I find a lot of people when a Republican or when a right wing person sort of defects from that party and says, you know, I want to push back like Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger or, or some more you know, big time examples. But it happens in our communities all the time. And then they're kind of shunned because perhaps they like small government or they want to do budget cuts or they don't, you know, they, you know, something like that, something that we politically disagree on, not, you know, big D democratically. And so, I, you know, I always try to make the point, look, we can't scream for people to change and then give them no room to do so. That We have to sort of welcome that into as, as, as dirty as it feels to, you know, to have to like work with the Lincoln Project or whatever. That's what it's going to take, I think, to push back on this far right wing autocratic crawl that's that's oozing into into the discourse slowly since for for a while now, almost a decade. Yeah, I totally agree. I think one of the things to remember in these conversations is that we all have one thing in common, a big thing in common, and that is that we're all human. And I think we often forget that we dehumanize the other side so often. And the other thing that we have in common most of the time is that we share common goals, actually. And, and when, what I mean by that, it's sort of in, in broad strokes. We want good education for our children. I don't know anybody who disagrees with that. And we may disagree on what that looks like, but we all want opportunities for children. We all want good jobs. And I think if we say, all right, well, what to you is good education? Let's start there. 
maybe we can get there together. And I think we can if we leave it open to sort of exploring, oh, you know, we agree, we all want to have good math curriculum, for example. You know, there's something uncontroversial, right? <laughs> two plus two is four. I think we all agree, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. Well. <laughs> you know, I saw Keanu Reeves saying, oh, you know, I'm no longer in the business of disagreeing or whatever. He says, if somebody tells me one plus one is five, I say, okay, whatever, moving on. Mm. And so I actually think that's maybe not healthy to move on, right? But to, to have uh, an engaged conversation, I think, takes listening and patience. And when you can offer that, then I think the other person can also hear your point of view. Yeah. And we're getting to the point now where it's boiling down to, do you believe everyone should be able to vote? And most Americans would say, yes, I think everyone should be able to vote. And then, you know, you start to get into the disinformation and all of the, well, you know, you have to have ID because there's voter fraud, but there's not. And all this kind of getting into the weeds stuff. But the, I think the big one now, I mean, there are people here who don't like democracy. There are uh, some leaders in power here in the United States who think democracy is rank and, and it, it, it impedes on liberty. And, and, you know, what can you do about people who don't support democracy? But I think the, the, the vast majority of, of us do. Whether, whether we want to vote for somebody who's going to get rid of Medicare or vote for somebody who's going to pass an environmental bill, we want to be able to vote. And I think we can all agree that the majority should have the rule in this country, which it does not. And that's where the trickery comes in. And, and it's very hard to sort of back folks off of that wagon. Right. Yes. Well, I think this is where I love to plug voting and local and state elections, because that's where all voting uh, rules get set and determined. And uh, this is where you can vote for secretary of state who is responsible for elections in your state, wherever you live. This is also where normally you can uh, become an activist and say, we want to have same day voter registration or automatic registration. And you'll see that the states that have this have the highest voter turnout, like Oregon and uh, Minnesota. I think it's very, very successful. And then, of course, the states where voting is suppressed, uh, it's very low. And the other thing to remember on state elections is that there are many states that are always updating their constitutions. Louisiana has updated its constitution 11 times. So this is really the place where you can have a lot of power. And you talked earlier about uh, reproductive rights, right? This is also where the rubber meets the road and where you can make a difference. Because I think it's, it seems incredibly overwhelming to get engaged on sort of the national level. But state by state, locality by locality, you can make an immense amount of difference if you decide to run those Races are, in, are not expensive in comparison to national races. So there's a lot of opportunity and, and for you to band together with your neighbors and go to the town hall meeting and say, ah, this is what I want. You know, this, these are the things that are facing our community. This is uh, very effective in ways that people are not normally fully aware of. Yeah. Constitutionally, states run their own elections. And so it starts with your state legislatures and your state election officials. Because if you have, you know, and of course, you got to get around the maps and who, who draws those. But that all comes from those state legislatures. And now we have states who are deciding who, who have are deciding that the, that the legislature, the state legislature should be the one that determines who the electors are, not the people voting. I never thought for a minute that would happen. And we were talking about this in 20 coming leading up to 2020. I was like, you know, if nobody reaches 270, it gets thrown to the 
the House and, you know, and then there's these states who are who are saying, well, we should be able to just choose whatever electors we want. And it's like, yeah, but that's not the law in your state and you can't do it for this election. And and then I would say, like, but I dare you to try to pass a law that says that you can throw out the will of the people and have the state legislature put forth their own slate of electors. And I was half kidding. But there are states now that, that have passed laws that, that allow them to to do that. It's 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 frightening. And that is where it starts. It starts locally. So t- tell us a little bit in the last minute or so here how to engage folks locally. I know that in your podcast, Future Hindsight, you talk about talking politics with your teenager because I personally believe the kids are going to save us. And Obama said uh, in 2016 on a podcast after right after you know what happened in 2016, he said, look, I think that the kids that are growing up who are turning 18 now, by the way, and or over 18 now, are going to wash over this country uh, like a, just a giant wave of hope. So you you do discuss in your podcast a lot how to engage with teenagers who are getting ready to become voting citizens. Talk a little bit about that and um, and why you think that's important. Well, to your point, it's important because they have the power to vote uh, and not enough young people are voting right now. My own son just turned 18 and just registered to vote and he's super excited. The, his uh, approval notice just came in the mail. Uh, so we're super proud about that. And he is very politically minded in a sense that he follows the news very closely. One of the pieces of advice I give everybody is to try and go to the primary source. If somebody tells you, and especially with teenagers, I think this is important, that they have these good habits from the beginning, right? If th- somebody tells you so-and-so said X, Y, Z, you know, Go look up the speech on C-SPAN or even the clip, you know, see the whole speech, though, (laughs) not just the two minute doctor clip. Right. And really understand what this person is saying and make up your own mind. I think young people are incredibly motivated about the future. They understand that the climate crisis is coming faster than we thought 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Basically, it's here. And they want to know that they can have the power. And indeed, they do to make a difference. And they're research hounds, too. Oh, I yeah. Tell you, like talking with my niece, my goddaughter and, and kids of other friends. First of all, they have tools to do research that we didn't have. Like we had to go to the card catalog Dewey Decimal System or the Encyclopedia Britannica to look stuff up. Right. We didn't have the entire knowledge of the universe like in our pockets. And so I found I, you know, I, I found that they do like to do research and they do want to fi- like find out for themselves instead of just take because, you know, when I was a kid, like question authority. But that just meant just do whatever the opposite is your parents say, because we didn't have the easy access to arm ourselves with the knowledge needed to, you know, F the man, so to speak. So right. I, I, that's why I really love the, uh, this these new generations uh, coming up and they're just they're thirsty for for figuring things out themselves. Yes, I totally agree. We were listening to NPR one morning at breakfast. We always listen to NPR at breakfast uh, so we can get the news. Morning edition is very valuable. Just putting that out there. And uh, they were talking about the strike at John Deere and how it was affecting their a production line, et cetera, et cetera. And then my son said, you know, that's not really telling the whole story. The strike is very specific to one factory, not all of them, where they're not getting paid overtime. It isn't that they just have some sort of willy-nilly strike about getting higher wages. It's specifically about the fact that this specific place 
does not pay overtime and it's making them work overtime. And I thought, wow, I didn't know that. And I, and I thought, good for you, kiddo, right? And, and I think that's true for a lot of teenagers. They really, like to your point, they take in the research, they do all the work, and they are so well-informed. And I think that bodes well for our democracy. I'm very, I'm very hopeful about that. Yeah, I'm hopeful to see where it takes us. And I really appreciate that you talk about these issues on Future Hindsight. Can you tell everyone where to find and follow you on social media and where to find your podcast? Yes, perfect. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So Future Hindsight is anywhere you listen to podcasts. You listen to us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Uh, or whatever your favorite platform is. And you can also find us on futurehindsight.com. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at Mila Atmos. That's M-I-L-A-A-T-M-O-S. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hi, everybody. It's AG. This episode of The Beans is brought to you by Helix Sleep. A good night's sleep is imperative to a healthy body and mind. I hate waking up drowsy and exhausted and sore after tossing and turning all night. Uh, I've had sleep problems in the past, hot flashes, night sweats, anxiety, and I thought it was all of that. But in reality, I had a mattress that didn't fit my needs. And that's why I'm so grateful for Helix Sleep. Um, they, They came to the rescue, honestly. Helix mattresses are available for every sleeping style and body type. You can find your perfect mattress with their quick online quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. You can choose from a wide array of mattresses. They have soft, medium, firm mattresses. They have regulating uh, mattresses that control your body temperature. They don't control your body temperature, but they they help you sleep cooler if you're a hot sleeper like I am. Um, They have ones that align your spine. And they have the Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. The Helix Midnight is what I was looking for because I'm a side sleeper and I prefer a medium for a mattress. So it's perfect for me. And thanks to Helix, I fall asleep easily. I sleep throughout the night. I don't toss and turn. I'm not sore in the morning, and I wake up feeling refreshed. As you know, Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. They were awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine love Helix to help improve your sleep. Uh, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You could try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They even have financing options available. And Helix right now is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helixsleep, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash dailybeans. For up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll on good news is on the way. And if you have any good news or corrections or confessions or what the mutt or whoopee stories you want to submit, Halloween pictures, anything, anything you want to send. You can do it by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact and uh, we'll read you up on the air. You can either be anonymous and you can give your pronouns if you want. It's all cool. Dana, are you ready for some good news? Oh, I am. Yes. Put it right into my veins. Here it comes from Shannon. Pronouns she and her. Hello, all. Tried to think of a catchy phrase. Couldn't. Said fuck it. I'm not an artistic type in pretty much any other medium but music, but you inspired I love your sign-off, vote blue over Q. Put pen to paper and this very rough draft, but I wanted to let you know that you inspire people every day. Pod pet tax is hopefully included. Ming is our lab corgi question mark mix. Convict is our gray white tiger. (laughs) Convict. Squeaky is our calico Hemingway. Do you call the cat convict because it escapes your house all the time? 
Squeaky is our calico Hemingway. Hemingway cat has multiple toes. And Diva is our black calico. Thanks for the illumination you give. Oh, see, vote blue over Q. I get it. It's like one of those pictograms. Nice. Uh, and by the way, I nicked that phrase off of Midas Touch. They sell stickers. If you want an official vote blue over yes. Q sticker, you can get that from Midas Touch. Look at these babies. Oh, lots of babies. Do, 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 do. I love it. Oh, honeys. I like that you inspire creativity, AG. All right. And let's move on to some joy. This is joy pronouns she and her. Hey, pump it up. Pump it up. Pump it up. Keep it going. Keep it going. (laughs) Sunshine. What else? What else? Rain. Rain. Come on. Give it to me. Dana G. Here we go. Good news from a frustrated AZ Democrat. Okay. (laughs) In Friday's 311 podcast. I was really hoping you'd run with that. (laughs) I know. I was like, oh, God, this is not going to work. In Friday's 311 podcast, you mentioned the Biden administration's temporary public service loan forgiveness program. I'm a grateful recipient of the second look for public servants who have a repaid, who have repaid their loans on time and were rejected for ridiculous minor administrative reasons. Now, I've worked in early childhood nonprofits and state government for 14 years. I made my loan payments on time. I was rejected from loan forgiveness four years ago, but kept making my timely payments with a much heavier heart. When I heard that Biden's Department of Education was looking at this program again, I hurriedly got my application in again after a bit of a runaround on signatures. Sign with a pen. Sign with a black pen. Jesus. (laughs) I roll. I got my response in early January. My loans were forgiven. All of them. $21,000 in loans were gone. I couldn't believe it. Now, the next surprise came a month later. They repaid me for the loan payments I made over the last 10 years. Oh, geez. I had no idea that was coming. I literally tried to read the notification with tears streaming down my face. I am so grateful. I've kept advocating for more student loan forgiveness. Everyone should feel the relief I did earlier this year. So let's keep advocating and let's keep the Senate and the House blue in 2022. Wow, you got your 10 years of payments because they you overpaid. That's amazing. Absolutely you overpaid. Amazing. If they had just followed the fucking rules of the program, and Joy, I am so with you. I battled for about four years to get half of my student loan payments counted toward that 10-year you know, payoff thing. And they just, no, and it was just this awful, horrible back and forth red tape, bullshit after bullshit after bullshit. And that's hard enough for anybody to go through. I'm going through it with PTSD, right? Like that's extra, that's extra cool. And bam, then all of a sudden I got my loans forgiven for something totally different. <laughs> so it was like <laughs> amazing. So that's so guy hope. I want to know if I want to know what sort of self-care you are spending some, at least I hope of that refund, that back pay on. Oh, for gonna sure. Go do something nice vacation? for yourself. You're going to do a massage. You're going to put a infrared sauna in your backyard i want to know what you're doing for yourself because that's so fucking cool thank you for that submission yeah and by the way we're going to cover this on uh, clean up on l45 but if any of you were in this federal student loan forgiveness program and, and couldn't get your payments to count do it now do it before october 22nd that's the deadline to to refile all right carolyn pronouns she and her hello queens of the leguminati I have been honored to have a few of my good newsletters read on the show, so thank you. I wanted to reach out and thank you for all your work to recognize the LGBTQ plus community. My daughter, I still get to say this because she says she goes by any pronouns, Nice is an amazing 15-year-old and has taught me so much about love and empathy throughout her life. 
Ellie has struggled so much in the pandemic. COVID hit in eighth grade. Oh, right before high school. Brutal. Kept her mostly at home all throughout ninth grade and 10th grade has been a challenge. But the good news is that Ellie's second semester, she dropped psychology and took up musical theater instead. Nice. And I think she's found a home. The even better news is that after two years, tickets in April 2020, tickets in December 2021, we finally got to see Hamilton Saturday in Los Angeles. Oh, so good. <laughs> Copious tears were shed and we are still reeling today. Yeah, that'll, that, that show will knock you on your ass for a while. So good. The good news, aside from Hamilton... I have a troubled child who trusts me enough to be completely honest with who he, she, they is. It's really hard, but it's truly the most important work to be someone who an LGBTQ plus kid trusts. I love Ellie and I'm so grateful for all that Ellie taught me. Also, just bought ticks to Dana's show yes! April 16th in Caroline. San Diego for Caroline. me and my husband. Hey. I don't think the two of us have ever been to a comedy show, but I'm prepared <gasps> to laugh till my sides hurt. So grateful Oh my God, for you. this makes me so happy. For photos, the theater, and for pod pet tax, a hummingbird nest in our olive tree. Carolyn. Oh my goodness, beautiful. I love hummingbird nests because no matter, like obviously a photo of something makes it look larger. Hummingbird nests are about the size of a, <laughs> a, a thin mint. Like they're, they're just so tiny. T- I want thin mints now. Oh, sorry. My bad. And I have a box. Like, oh, I, like, good. But yeah, but no, that's bad. Like, oh, I mean, no, bad. Sorry. <laughs> I've been on a, a clean eating kick for like, this is week seven. Oh, nice. And before the clean eating kick, I got a little, a little too much wine and maybe ordered like 10 boxes of girls. Whoopsie. So now they're in my cupboard yelling at me every night, reminding me that they're there. Well, they'll be there. And if you need to put them in the freezer, put them in the freezer because that's where Thin Mints live anyway, people. Uh, and they're so good frozen. They're now so I good. want frozen Thin Mints. Okay, God I'm going to keep reading. Yep. Hey, just go run off if you need. I'll read slow. Okay, this is from <laughs> Sheila, pronoun she and her. My good news is that my daughter's Ukrainian friend made it to Hungary with her mother and a number of other women and children. Her neighbor's house was bombed and it took two days of travel, but they are safe. Thank God. Her dad had stayed behind. Here's my pet tax, grandson tax. My three-year-old grandson loves his stuffed toys. He sleeps with a brown bunny named Bean Bean and a little blanket with an elephant head named Mr. Elephant. I asked him if Bean Bean was a girl or boy, and he shrugged and said, just Bean Bean. As a pet tax, I have a 11-year-old Carson, who's an English lab. She's exasperating (gasps) because her favorite snack is poop, but I love her. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) My dog used to eat the cat turds out of the litter box, and we called them beach treats because they're covered in sand. I often make this mistake of calling her he because of the way she acts. I took a Juliet eight years ago, and she is the gray and white cat. All she has to do is look at Carson a certain way, and Carson freaks out. (laughs) Last of all is one-year-old Flynn, who has kept us all on our toes. Juliet's nose has been out of joint ever since he joined the household. Keep up the good work. News is always better served with laughter and swearing. Oh my goodness, Sheila, thank you so much for the beginning of this story. Anyone who gets out of Ukraine safely, one person, I want all of these stories to be known and told, and I'm I'm so happy that they're safe and I am my, my thoughts and prayers. And I normally don't say that, but are with the father of this family. Yeah. He had to stay behind. I, yeah. I'm assuming because I think it didn't, I think the men had to and to fight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, look at the doggy. Oh, look at the eyes. 
That dog wants something from my soul. Yeah. I love windowsill kitties. And we'll probably get it. There should be a <laughs> coffee book called windowsill kitties, don't you think? I like that. Yeah. I like that. We'll be book and coffee co- and, and windowsill kitties. Oh my God. That's actually really good. That's a good name for a band too. too. Welcome to the stage, windowsill kitties. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I love lamp. I like that lamp. Oh, thank you for these submissions, everyone. Oh, and yeah, and I I wanted to give a shout out to the Pantages because I love that theater. Uh, that's where um, yeah, Carolyn saw Hamilton. She's included a picture of the Pantages. I love that. Place. There you go. And we will see them on April 16th at oh my God. I'm 4th. So, please, no matter what happens at the show, Caroline, if you can just <laughs> come say hi, I would love to meet you and your husband. Okay. Especially because this is your first comedy show. So no matter what happens, if you can just stick around for a little while afterwards, uh, I would love to say hello. Yeah. We'll do some kind of little like, cause there's a back patio. Yeah. And like, maybe, you know, after you get off stage, go to the green room, chill, do whatever you need to do. Totally. We all go out to the back patio and like have an executive martini and meet some people. Whatever. Sounds good to it's me. To- it's going to be totally chill. It's a pretty small venue. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it there. Plus, fucking Susan. You got, Westenhofer. You got Bruce and Westenhofer. I know. Jeez. Valanche and Westenhofer. Let's do this. That's a Valanche, Westenhofer and Goldberg were the funniest law firm in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> Did you consume monster energy drinks between the years of 2006 <laughs> to 2011 and now shake uncontrollably? You call the law firm. <laughs> That's what I think of. You sound like a personal attorney law firm. <laughs> personal injury attorney law firm. Uh, and credit to Billy Bonnell for that joke, by the way. All right. Well, that's the show. Do you have any final thoughts, Dana, before we get to her? Um, I know I'm supposed to have these all the time. I, I, I Do I have any final thoughts? You know, uh, no, I do not have any final thoughts. <laughs> we had a bunch. I mean, we did have a bunch. That's true. Yeah. And just right now, I'm just getting through this week. This week feels a little harder for me for some reason. So I'm just uh, kind of powering through. Good. I'm sorry. If you need me, I'm here. Thank you. Always. Thank that you. goes for everybody too. And I'll be back tomorrow with Dana. And I don't know if we got a guest tomorrow. I, I kind of want to drag Glenn in here to talk about this Easter egg in the Tario filing. I'll see what Ooh, I can dig up. But, do it. Uh, until, the, until then, till the mystery guest tomorrow, uh, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health and vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And that was the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>